welcome to Spirited Conversations. I'm your host, Terry Kennedy. Over the years, friends, family, colleagues, and sometimes complete strangers have shared personal stories with me of encounters with departed loved ones or with unknown entities that couldn't be explained away. These stories have always intrigued me, both personally as a person of faith and professionally as a researcher. Through this podcast, I seek to share and honor these experiences. Well, Jody, I want to welcome you back to Spirited Conversations. Thank you. And I believe in a little bit of gestalt and a little bit of serendipity, I guess. So you ended up being episode three of my first season, Protective Presence, and you are going to be episode three of my second season. Oh, yay. Yay. <laughs> so you had shared that you have had some new experiences. And I know you also recently had a very rejuvenating vacation and yeah. it kind of got you in tune. So I wanted to just sort of open it up and have you share what's been going on. Thank you, Terry. It, it's always great to come back and kind of just deep dive into things. And of course, my hope is that my story will resonate with someone else, one of your listeners, and just kind of help provide an aha moment or comfort or laughter too. So in season one, you know, I shared a little bit about my biological father and a lot of military history and how that affected me growing up. And since that recording, he passed away in January. And so, of course, you know, that's prime picking for some really interesting stuff to start (laughs) tapping into that, you know, is definitely looked at uh, with your series. And subconsciously, I think I was a little peaked and a little heightened to start, you know, picking up on things. And just that first month or two of grief, it's just heavy and icky and a fog. And so around the beginning of March, I started having this feeling, this heavy feeling of somebody, you know, when you have someone give you a really tight hug and they let go of you, but you still kind of have that muscle reaction where you're people who can't see, I'm kind of doing that fetal position with, you know, hugging myself. And it wasn't a good feeling. It was a heavy feeling. It felt like like in my chest, kind of like bronchitis, even though I wasn't sick, but I just felt like something was dragging me. And, you know, I talked to my therapist about it, had my toolbox, you know, working through it, all of that. And it just day after day, it got heavier and heavier. And I don't know if you've had this happen, Terry, but 
you know, there's moments where you may hear, hear a song or you see somebody that looks like someone who has passed or you smell something. I don't know what got into me, but I decided to watch Apocalypse Now. And if, you know, for our viewers who are familiar with that movie, it's, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, wonderful piece of cinematic work uh, about Vietnam. And so with my father having the history of being a SEAL in Vietnam, I had purposely stayed away from that film for years. But for some reason, I sat and I watched the entirety that night. And afterwards, I, 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 I'd say it would be a panic attack. And then after that, a couple of days later, you know, I, I solidified my plans to take some time off and go to Hawaii. So, you know, fast forward, okay, I finished my master's, great, okay, we cruise through the month of March, cruise through the month of April, and then I find myself getting ready to fly to Hawaii. Going into this trip, I purposely planned it for just myself. My husband was gracious enough to fully support time off and for me to just kind of go recharge and, and you know, friends and family, work team, my son, they were all great about it. And two things popped in my head going into this trip that I'm like, oh my gosh, this is something going on I need to tell Terry about. <laughs> the first is I've never had an urge to go to Hawaii, but for some reason, something was forcing me towards it. month after my father passed away, I reconnected with my very first college professor, Dr. Mickey Weems. His specialty is scholarly work of philosophy, mostly Eastern. And we reconnected. He asked me to work on a project with him. Something interesting about him is that he has a long history with the Marine Corps, pretty much the same time periods age-wise as my father. And my father died of pancreatic cancer slash COVID. I find out that Dr. Weems had recently been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So we're kind of doing this really weird mirroring parallel happening. Mickey lives in Hawaii. So hop on the plane, get to Hawaii. The first night I was there, I experienced something that has not been this strong ever in my life. And, you know, from season one, I know a lot of people, especially us in my episode, we talked about a, a sense or presence coming over you to protect you you know, tell you to go down a different street, tell you to look around, tell you to stay inside, that kind of thing. And I thought what I had had in the past was the strongest feeling I'd ever had. 
that all went out the window my first night in Hawaii. I, my hotel was on Waikiki Beach and, you know, I landed and took a nap and decided to go out to get something to eat. And it was dark at that point, but very, you know, well lit. It was a clear night. You go outside and the air has this, you know, if you've ever been to, you know, a tropical environment like Hawaii or even, you know, along the coast in California, there's this really, it's almost like a musty, misty feel in the air, but it's not cold. It's warm. And there were so many sounds going on that typically I'm, I'm pretty sensitive to a lot of sounds, a lot of crowds. And all I remember is everything kind of went quiet. And as I'm walking to get something to eat, everything, and I, I say this specifically because it's what it felt, it felt orange. And I'm curious too, if any of your listeners ever have those kind of mixed up sensory details. So everything felt orange, looked orange because of the uh, street lights. And then the only sounds that kind of cut through that fog were the sounds of scooters and Vespas. And I had a moment, Terry, where I thought I was in Vietnam. The sounds, the, the smells, the, the breeze, the lights. And it was the most surreal thing I've ever experienced. I don't remember going back to the hotel room. I don't remember the rest of that night, really. But I felt that feeling of the, you know, something dragging me had finally gone away. I don't know what to say of it. Do you have anything that has happened to you at, with that extent, so close to somebody passing? Was it, you know, a purging of my system? I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. So you use interesting language. When we talked before, it was that this presence seemed to come to you at times when, as it turned out, you maybe needed a warning or you needed a protection. You used the word dragging this time. So I'm curious. It's as if like a compulsion that you had to go to Hawaii. Yes. Yes. Just before we started recording, we were talking about sensory overload and you know kind of what we've been experiencing since we've been working virtually and living virtually and wearing masks and all of a sudden we're opening ourselves up to all of these other things and I don't know if you can put words to it but if you could describe as best as you can that sense of being dragged what that felt like Definitely. I would say the closest uh, explanation would be if you are in a swimming pool and you start at the three foot end and you start walking towards the deep end, 
the water gets harder to go against the, your legs get harder to lift up. And as you go deeper and deeper, it's harder and harder to move forward. I think that's the best way I can explain it. What's also interesting, and thank you for highlighting me using the word dragging, because that I didn't even think about that, it just came out. The sensory details that I shared about in our last chat, I always attributed it to my best friend who was killed and, you know, looking out for me, giving me signals, a, a guardian angel, whatever, you know, terms you may want to go with. I believe this current feeling dragging was not that. I do not connect the two because this, the, the symptoms and the feelings were completely different. And again, not to have you divulge any confidences, but what I recall you sharing is that the relationship that you had with your father was a tense relationship where you had to create distance or chose to create distance. Yes. I almost am wondering when you talk about watching Apocalypse Now, if in a weird way you were entering his world and experiencing his feelings, which I'm assuming there's a lot of post-traumatic stress that yes. he experienced. And if that feeling of walking through water and that's such a powerful metaphor. And then being in that scenario of having that feeling orange, but at the end, it sounded as if it finally lifted. It lifted just as fast as it came on. And there was nothing particular about that day. You know, it wasn't like an, an anniversary or a birthday. It was just the day I'd flown into Hawaii. Uh, you know, it's interesting too, because with that relationship that I had with my father, and, you know, this is something I'm always curious about. And I would love to connect with anyone who might be in the same boat to <laughs> compare notes, but being a child of a Vietnam combat vet. I think it's a very unique subset of what we grew up with and what we grew up around. And I believe that the way I have chosen to grieve has affected how I've had to process what sensory-wise is coming in and getting to me. I grieved the lack of a relationship with a father a long time ago. We did that therapy. That's in a box up in the closet. We're good. What I found myself and still grieving is this 18-year-old male who was put into situations that I will never, ever, ever understand. And I will never claim to try. That makes me grieve for that person. And so by looking at it that way, I feel that's where all of these connections to that time period, to 
old stories that I, I, you know, had heard him tell, film, songs, travel. I know that Hawaii was a main stop as he came back from, you know, stateside. He did multiple tours. Maybe something was, you know, part of the compulsion of me needing to go there. I don't know. Another interesting thing, my mother has the ashes of Glenn, but has not done any kind of a ceremony or funeral or anything. So I don't know, maybe it was kind of a, hey, you, you gotta grieve me somewhere. I need to be placed somewhere. And I really feel like that's how and why those sensory details happen that first night. I don't know. So you just used the metaphor of long ago, you put that in a box and it's up on a shelf. Yeah. You and I do have some kind of a connection. <laughs> Before we got on to our call, I made a couple notes and I, one of the notes I wrote, I wrote the word knapsack. Oh. And I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about, cause you said something to the effect of put it in your knapsack. And yeah. I took it that that was something that you probably learned from your father. Yeah. yeah. And it occurs to me that knapsacks hold things and there are things that we carry in them. We can put them in, but sometimes we put them on our back and they weigh heavy. Yeah. And even if we set them down or put them away, knapsacks aren't encased. Things can escape from them. Right. So we can't really compartmentalize things in a knapsack. We can carry it and take it from place to place. And I think sometimes, maybe if, if I do a tortured metaphor, sometimes we have to unpack them. Oh, yeah. And I'm just wondering, and you answered the question already, that Hawaii was a frequent stop. Yes. And it sounds like you've already wondered about whether that meant he wanted his ashes in Hawaii, that he has a connection there. I would like to think so. This is a great segue into another thing that I, I did while I was there. And it, it leans more towards the practice of ceremonies, right? And, you know, the spiritual component, religious component, what have you. I had a lunch with Dr. Weems, my professor that I went to visit. It was wine and brownies. It was a great lunch, you know, the best things in the world. And we were chatting and I was catching him up. And by the end of the chat, he suggested to me that I write down whatever I need to get off of me, write it on a card, bury it at the beach, and he would take care of it so that I could physically leave the island 
and leave all of the grief and awful things that had been happening, you know, the past 10 years of my life, just bury it, be done. And so I did, I wrote it down, went to Waikiki beach, buried it about a foot down into the sand. And I put Glenn's name. I put my best friend who was killed. I put his name. Oh, and the important thing Dr. Wing said was don't put too many details, only use words that you're going to know. which I thought was so wonderful. I I really liked that. I wrote the words hysterectomy because I had one of those. The final thing I wrote down was Dr. Weems because he's, you know, stage four, he's going to pass. That's got its own sadness. And so I buried it and I thought I would cry. I thought it would be very, it ended up being very (laughs) anticlimactic. And so But there was something about knowing that I had put it in the ground. I left it there. It was paper. It's going to become part of the earth again. It is what it is. We're moving on. And it occurred to me when I was taking off from Honolulu to fly back to San Francisco. As the plane was going up, I had a beautiful view of the skyline and everything. And it occurred to me that I had to go geographically away from the mainland, the you know, U.S., so many points that I, I was tethered to. I had to come thousands of miles away to an island where no one knew me except one person. I was completely by myself. I felt safe, but I had to do that to kind of slough off so much. And There was no, you know, with the ceremony, I I call it a ceremony, you know, I didn't have a candle. I didn't do anything like that. It was a busy day at the beach and everyone was doing their thing, but it was the most, I think, appropriate way to bury this person. You know, this 18 year old kid that I never knew, it felt right and it felt good. And I feel like that was the first time I've ever been able to connect and define what spirituality is in my life. As I shared in the last time we chatted, I wasn't brought up with a religion. I still don't really have a concept of it. Spirituality, same thing, but, but that moment, something shifted. Could you talk also a little bit about that musty, misty air suddenly getting quiet and sort of this experience where you said that you had this mixing up of sensory details and and this sense of orange, if you can remember what that moment was like? So not, not to beat to death you know, the swimming pool comparisons, <laughs> but if you are ever for sound, if you're ever underwater completely and you slowly come up and your ears get filled with water, but then they slowly open up. It's that moment before they finally do that pop where everything is a little dreamy, a little foggy, a little muffled. 
So that's what the sounds were like. And then when everything was clear again, sound wise, was when I only heard the scooters and the Vespas. The orange was just, it wrapped around everything. It was the the coolest thing. You know, I, I think the closest thing would be, you know, it reminded me a lot of being younger and if you were out riding bikes and the sunset was happening and then the street lights would kick on, time to go home. But there's that like 10 minute period of it's not quite day, it's not quite dawn, but it's not quite dusk. And it was just the most comforting color. And, and you could, I felt it. I don't know if that's part of my synthesia or what, but it just felt warm and calm is the best way I can describe it. So I'm curious, as you were growing up or at any time, did you ever experience auras? Yes. Tell me about that. Well, if I can clarify what is your definition of an aura? Okay, so, and again, that's that's a good point because my definition may not match other people's. So my sense of auras and my experience of auras has been seeing lights and usually colors around people that I'm looking at or that I'm in the presence of. And you look at them and it's not there, but all of a sudden these colors, sometimes the single color, sometimes multiple colors would appear. Wow. So I don't know if that's what you mean by auras. And I don't know if that's the textbook definition. No, that's a great description. Mine's pretty close to that, but it will occur not when I'm looking at someone. It usually will be peripheral. Vision-wise, it'll always come from my right side, kind of in the background blind spot, like when you're driving kind of that spot, or they'll be really far away, like maybe 10 or 12 feet, like down a hotel hallway kind of thing. They're always dark colors, not black, but like a fading of like a, a navy blue to a blue to a gray, usually the same shape, never small as in like, if it was like of a, of a child or something, I never get the feeling of being uncomfortable or scared. I'm just aware of it. Sometimes I'll kind of like blink my eyes a little bit or I'll like rub my eyes. Other times I'm just, you know, it's a normal day and boom, it's right there. Do you ever get uncomfortable when you see them? So mine occurred when I was probably my like adolescence and they were there for a couple of years and then they kind of went away. So I don't seem to be able to evoke that anymore. I didn't know about auras back then. I learned that language later or, or at least got a word that I thought, Oh, that might be my experience. <laughs> right. I didn't really know what to attribute it to. I remember playing a little game with my friends. They would ask me what color they were. And I would look at them and then I would describe the colors that I saw and what I thought that meant. And I don't know why it was sort of like, 
like a Peanuts cartoon with Lucy with, you know, the, the <laughs> mind reading. I don't know what I thought I was doing or what, I don't even remember how it even started that my friends knew that I saw colors around them. It was weird. And I still don't quite know what that was about. That was before I needed glasses. So maybe it was a visual thing. Who knows? And when you were talking about the swimming metaphor, the closest I could think to describe it was when you've had too much chlorine in your eyes and you look at a light in the evening, like a time of day you're talking about kind of twilight. Yeah. You see auras around, around lights. Exactly. And then they finally go away. Well, that's what it was like, except it wasn't chlorine. My eyes weren't tired. I would be looking at someone, not really staring, but gazing towards them. And I would be listening to them. And then all of a sudden I would see these colors and then they would sort of go away. But so I'm just curious, was there a certain age where that happened or is it, does it continue for you? I remember having them ever since kindergarten. And I I believe that's the age point that we talked about uh, in season one, where I started picking up on feelings and sensations. And I still have the auras today. I also get migraines and I get auras with migraines. And if somebody, you know, if you have migraines and that type of migraine, you know what that is. But for me, when I have a migraine aura, it's very bright colors. It's yellows and oranges and pinks. I go completely blind in my left eye. You know, in in grade school, if you ever played like heads up, seven up, and you put your head down in your hands and you, you squish your eyes tight, really, really tight, and you see the sparkles, it's that kind of aura for the aura of, you know, is it a spirit or someone or something? It's always the cool tones. I never have a migraine when it's happening. I'd say it happens probably three or four times a year, not on an anniversary. Nothing's ever really connected to it. I'm so used to it now. you know, I have to really, I have to think for a second of like, oh, wait, when was the last time? Various situations it happens. Yeah, there's really no rhyme or reason. It's just kind of always been there for me. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny. I've actually never talked to anybody about this. Like I said, it was in my teens that I remember it and, you know, have since learned that it seems like we seem to be in tune with things when we're younger and we kind of lose that ability or we start second guessing it or ignoring it or moving on in some way. The importance of ceremony, I think is another thing that you've talked about that I think is so important. It was interesting to me how often this happens, but how we have to go a distance to come closer to ourselves. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that wraps it up in a nutshell, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Or it puts it in a knapsack, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true. And that's the beauty of traveling, I think. And I, I think this is why I did it the way I did it. I had to get away from familiar. And part of what my familiar 
day to day was carrying a lot of grief. Had to get away from that to, to get rid of it. If we want to keep the metaphor going to unpack everything, get rid of what we don't need and start over. As uh, they say, it, you got to cut your line. So, yeah. Coming back then from Hawaii and kind of getting back into your daily routine again, because you had been going to school and you'd been being yes. <laughs> and you'd had all these things going on and then dealing with grief on top of it. Again, you and I have talked about that empath kind of yes. feeling that we feel a lot and we feel it deeply and we have to kind of create protections for ourselves. Oh, yeah. I'm just curious what kind of that re-entry, I guess, into daily life was like for you. I love that question. I would say the first thing I noticed was I was excited to come home. And I have never had that feeling before while traveling. Traveling has always been an outlet to get away from what was going on at home. And I use the term home loosely. And in this case, and for the first time was not only my physical home, but my husband and my son and my work and my garden, and all of these positive things finally happening. I was excited to return to it. So that was new. That was, I'm, that's still uncomfortable for me, but I'm working through it. The other thing was, I still have not put my cap and gown on for my master's. So for listeners, I'm based out of Cleveland, Ohio, but I did my master's program through Arizona State University. And so, you know, there was a choice to go out to the graduation. I chose Hawaii instead. No offense to ASU. Imagine that. <laughs> and so, but I still ordered, you know, the, the cap and gown and the hood and all of that. Cause I was like, oh, well, picture this. It's gonna be really cool. It's still hanging in on the hall tree and I can't put it on yet. And I don't know why. I just, I have a visceral, my stomach hurts, queasy headache if I think of putting it on. I don't know what that is right now, but that's part of the re-entry that I'm noticing. It's really, I just don't want to put it on yet. I'm sure my therapist won't feel day with that. So. <laughs> but other than that, I would say it's just, you know, it's probably that post-funeral fog, if anyone's ever gone through that or if have lost someone, you've just gone through the process of laying one to rest and it's, everything feels kind of delayed getting to me and maybe try to describe this. So how you and I were talking about, we kind of build that protective barrier for the empath, right? I feel like I have even a larger barrier to prevent things to hit me, whether it's hanging out with people or making decisions about going to dinner or going to the grocery store. I've, I've kept myself kind of in a bubble. And I believe at this point, it's because I don't want to be kicking off and being overstimulated. And then that comes back again to how we were talking about in the beginning of now that 
one example is having masks off in public. We have all these new stimuli happening and watching people and listening to people. And on one hand, I'm very proud that I've built this wall up. On the other hand, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I also don't know if that's just part of me healing. And it could also be part of kind of occurring to me right now as we're talking, that might be, I'm building myself this kind of incubator as I'm developing my own sense of spirituality. And I just need that time. And I find comfort in that. I really do. Thank you for listening to Spirited Conversations. Please like and follow Spirited Conversations on Facebook at Terry Kennedy 1111. T E R I K E N N E D Y 1111. If you have a personal story to share, please message me with a brief description of your experience, your first name, and email address. Sleep tight. Ooh.